Hey, before we get started, I want to tell you about some bad actors out there. These are people that are trying to sell you annuities. Annuities uh, just don't make sense for the investor. They make sense for the person selling it to you. They have uh, tremendous commissions. They also make sense for the company who created the annuity. Uh, our advice for most annuities is to stay away. And that's simply because we are approaching financial planning from a fiduciary and fee-only standpoint, meaning that when we look at investments, we're trying to figure out what's best for the client. And most importantly, we don't sell product. People come to us to solve financial uh, questions or problems or help set goals for the future. So when we break all this down, uh, I don't know that in the history of our company we have ever recommended an annuity uh, simply because we don't have quotas. We don't have sales quotas to uh, to meet. Uh, our quota is to make sure that each family that comes to us gets the best uh, financial advice possible. The bad actors out there, um, a lot of times, are nice people. And you might know them from a church or uh, baseball or something like that. Uh, it doesn't mean that they're bad people. It just means that they've drunk the Kool-Aid of their organization to sell products that don't work in the best interest of their clients. So stay away. If you want to learn more, you can go to our website at wiserinvestor.com. At the very bottom of our screen, we have buyer beware of the annuity salesman. Input your email and you'll get download our white paper on why you should avoid annuities. Thanks for listening. Welcome to the Wiser Roundtable. We believe the best financial advice should always be conflict-free. I'm your host, Casey Smith, guiding you to financial freedom are my co-hosts, Brad Lyons and Matthews Barnett. Hey, guys. Hi, Casey. How's it going? All right. So the topic today is SPACs, not to be confused with Spanx or Spackling or anything else. It's just SPACs. Just SPACs. Uh, SPACs as in S-P-A-C. Uh, I don't know that most people even know what these are, although they're all over the news in the last few weeks. So let's get started. I'm leaning on you guys and your expertise on this one. So <laughs> here we go. <laughs> Brad, what's a SPAC? Well, SPAC has been around for a little while. They've really come into their own here recently in the past 12 to 18 months. Um, a SPAC is an acronym for Special Purpose Acquisition Company, SPAC. Also and, known as a blank check company. That's right. And there's a reason why. That's kind of the, 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 the name that investors have kind of given them. Because when we or investors invest in a SPAC, we're giving our check to the management of that company to do with it as they please. Because at the time that we invest, we don't know what they are. These are essentially shell companies that are developed and formed and gone public with the intent to merge with another company in order to ease that company into the public markets. Yeah, so they actually don't have any commercial operations. They're not making or selling anything. Like you mentioned, Brad, you know, they're, they're, they're made solely for the purpose of raising capital for the future acquisition of businesses. Uh, they've become more popular over the, the recent years, and especially last year. Uh, you would know some of the names like Virgin Galactic, DraftKings, uh, Open Door, Nikola Motor. Uh, those are some of the bigger companies that have gone public by merging with SPACs over the recent year or so. 
So what what's the purpose? So if I invest, you're telling me if I invest into a SPAC that I'm putting money into a shell company that has no assets. That's exactly true. It has no assets other than the proceeds from the IPO that investors invest in. So they're cash. And that cash, when the company goes public, is placed into a trust. And then that money is invested in a safe, secure bonds, government bonds most likely, in order to earn some income while the management of the SPAC searches the marketplace for an acquisition that they want to make. Once they decide on that, that money can be used to make that purchase of that company. Who are these managers and how do I choose them? Uh, well, there's a lot of big names. Probably the biggest one is Chamath. You know, he's been known for kind of being, a lot of people called him the new Warren Buffett, just with his forward thinking on the way he invests. Uh, so he's probably one of the biggest one you've uh, you've heard of. Uh, Michael Klein, uh, Bill Ackman. Those are kind of some of the bigger players in the in the game right now. So the SPAC becomes publicly traded before it buys the company that it wants. So That's you right. create the SPAC, it has a ticker, um, but you're buying into something with zero in it, but you don't know what you're buying. I mean, I'm sure there's some regulations on, or some rules maybe potentially saying we're going to buy something in the entertainment industry or we're going to buy something in the tech industry. But I think most of them don't have anything, right? Well, they have zero operations at the time that the of the IPO. They have all the cash that they raised in the IPO. And so then you're, you're essentially then hiring the managers of the SPAC in order to make a purchase that they will then convert into a publicly traded company through what's a process called de-SPACing. And that will then allow the acquired company to become a publicly traded company. By doing this, the acquired company gets to access to the public markets in a less rigorous manner than a company choosing to go IPO on its own. So basically, because it's already publicly traded, it's just acquiring a private company. That's right. And which then, becomes its operations. Which, which now the SPAC becomes the becomes the, 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 the company that company. purchased it. That's correct. correct. That's correct. I guess the ticker changes at that point? It would have to, right? Not necessarily. Know. Yeah. I wouldn't think. Yeah. Yeah. Now, the, the there are some steps that go on in, in this process, if you will. So the SPAC goes public. It issues an IPO into the marketplace. Investors get to invest in it at a known price. So uh, you go in, you, you, you invest in a, in a SPAC, you get, you know, in return, you get common shares of the SPAC, plus you get warrants often. And those warrants can be used in the future to buy more shares of the acquired company at a known price in a known period of time. So as I said earlier, the proceeds of the SPAC go into trust. It's invested until the management team of the SPAC acquires a company. Once they identify a company that they want to acquire, it has to go out to shareholder vote. So the shareholders get to vote on whether or not they want to actually acquire this company with the proceeds that they put into the IPO. Now this I find interesting, kind of offshoot, you know, <laughs> why would somebody vote no? I mean. You, you invested in the SPAC with the known <laughs> intent to acquire a company to go public. So 
I guess if you don't like the acquiring company, but I don't know, would you even have enough information as an investor to decide yes or no? I think that's exactly right, Casey. <laughs> I mean, that's very interesting. When you get to that point in the process, um, there are very specific rules about you have to have 50% and then 20% have to you know devote to at least keep the shares afterwards because there's other ways that an IPO investor can divest themselves of, of, of their, their shares. But at, the, at that time, the due diligence that, is avoided by the company and the scrutiny of the Wall Street investors uh, falls to the IPO investor to figure out whether or not they think this is a good use of their money to invest in this company. It's like we mentioned, you know, for our clients, you know, we're fiduciaries, our clients and looking out in their best interest, it's kind of tough to uh, recommend something when you don't even know what you're recommending. So that's kind of the issue. Eventually, uh, you know, they're, they're required to file a S-4, which is similar to a S-1 uh, the IPOs must file. Uh, so eventually they have to uh, tell you, the, have disclosures and outline what they're buying. But uh, initially it's just that blind trust. You're putting the income down and, and hoping that they're acquiring companies that uh, grow. It, it's interesting to me that the number, uh, the, the number of uh, funds raised uh, in SPACs, I mean, in 2014, there's $1.8 billion in 12 SPAC IPOs. Um, fast forward, you know, the, well, 2015, there was about 4 billion. 2016, there's about 3.5 billion. So we're kind of sitting around that. And then all of a sudden in 2020, uh, 83 billion uh, went out in, or into SPACs with 248 IPOs. And then year to date, I think we're at, uh, I think I just heard, oh, was it 87 million? Year to date, billion, and, and, or yeah, billion. It, it surpassed sorry. last year already in the first three months. Yeah, we're only at March twenty fourth right now on um, on the calendar. So, if you want to average that out over the rest of the year, <laughs> <you're> <laughs> <laughs> yes, the, the rate that uh, people are investing in SPACs is just you know going growing in exponentially. It would appear. And I don't, I don't, know, I don't have an answer to this, but I'm wondering where where's the money coming from. Is it is it institutional money that's doing this? Um, I know that individuals are doing it. I talk to individuals that are doing some of this. Um, There's big institutions that are marketing, uh, but that's not saying that they're staying in those funds. You know, they're helping market it and bundle that they have these packs, and then uh, yeah. Why don't you explain that for a minute? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, like like Brad mentioned, you know, there there's a certain due diligence period. Obviously, uh, the longer due diligence, the more adequate and uh, <clears throat> suitable investment but a lot of these firms are only going a few days in their due diligence process and then acquiring these companies so it's not as regulated as you would hope uh there's there's people like shack and a rod so uh besides the institutional investors there's also celebrities that are using the the money they have and their name uh to help grow these funds you know you're saying earlier i think pre-podcast that sometimes the due diligence will only be three days yes and that's uh that, that's something that an ipo investor should should learn about you know whether or not the the management team is going to do a full round of due diligence, you know as Matthew mentioned, you know we're having these celebrity hosts now that go in and and buy into these spacs and what they're doing is they're going in pre IPO, and they're buying what's called founder shares and founder shares you know are greatly discounted, so they're not buying in at the retail investors IPO price they're buying in at a greatly reduced price. So when they have the opportunity then for a a a, a despacking event where they they acquire a company, their shares may be pennies on the dollar, 
And so whether or not the company does well in the public markets, when you're buying it at pennies on the dollar, you know, you're still getting a huge return in money. But the average retail investor doesn't necessarily see that same return. Or doesn't the uh, uh, the manager get 20% of the shares for free? For free, which has a dilutive effect right. on the shares that the, uh, the retail investor gets in with. Thank you for listening to our podcast. We really appreciate uh, all the feedback we've been getting from our listeners on future topics and uh, the uh, data boy emails. We really appreciate that. Uh, we see listeners growing uh, every, every single week and that, and that's fun for us. And we enjoy doing this. If you could take a minute, uh, depending on how you listen to the podcast, if you go to Spotify or Apple podcast um, and you could rate uh, our podcast a five-star podcast that'll help us in the rankings we we continue to climb up each week and the number of listeners as well as uh, uh, as well as the response uh, on, on the feedback online and then we've also started a youtube channel if you go to youtube you type in wise wealth management you can find the weekly roundup which is a video between myself and brad or myself and matthews each week just talking about some of the various topics that we've seen and uh, some interesting thoughts we might have on those. Again, thank you for listening. Please give us uh, positive feedback online. Help us grow the brand. Thank you. So the manager is getting 20% for free. The celebrity is getting deeply discounted. Uh, and the investor gets what? <laughs> we can't say that here. Yeah. <laughs> Not as good of returns. So I think what probably what the investor is hoping for is then a pre-IPO price that's reasonable, and then they hope that the company takes off in the long term. Right in the end. Right. Um, yeah. As an, a financial advisor, I have a hard time have a hard time putting a rubber stamp on that. Yeah, it's difficult. I can see the excitement from an individual. Uh, retail investor standpoint that it is an opportunity to participate in an IPO. The problem is you don't get to choose which IPO that you in, you invest in unless you go through the an ETF route. And there are some ETFs out there that are, have decided and figured out ways to create an index around the uh, the, the, uh, the SPAC marketplace. Mm-hmm. There's three of them that are out there. One invests in, in a passive management style with, a, with an, a true index that invests in both pre and post um, acquisition. There's two actively managed ETFs. One invests pre uh, uh, acquisition and another one invests post acquisition shares. Yeah, those would be tickers SPCX and SPAK are the ones you're talking about. Um, There's also uh, Renaissance Capital has a IPO ETF called IPO uh, and that's 50 of the largest companies to have gone public. Um, so there are a few out there, but like we mentioned, you know, you're you're buying this diversification of the index, and you're not buying these individual companies and getting those huge returns that the the founders and investors are. Right. Yeah, and the actively managed one, at least you'd be in pre-IPO, right? Um, and that uh, I'm trying to come up with that um, uh, is that SPAK, I believe. Uh, the defiance, defiance next gen, next gen uh, SPAC. Derived ETF, SPAK, 
Uh, actually, no, I think that, that's the index. That's, that's the index. That's, that's after the reverse merger is taking place. The right. SPCX is the SPAC and new issue ETF, uh, which is the active one. Uh, and that's kind of pre, uh, excuse me, pre IPO. So that that's would be true. the more active one. It's run by Tuttle Tactical Management, uh, SPCX. Yeah. The one that's the index that uh, are, are after the SPAC has made the purchase, that's the SPAK, which. SPXZ. Uh, no index choice XPAK defiance next gen because it holds DraftKings, Open Door, Pershing, Square, Churchill Capital, Virgin Galactic. The eighty percent of that fund is after the reverse merger is taking place, and then some pre. Uh, okay, I see that now. Yeah, um, most of these one of these funds had less than a hundred million in it. Um, yeah, I see one here that's at only thirty-seven million dollars. So they're, they're still relatively um, new, obviously. Uh, they trade with very wide spreads, which you, you need to know going in. And, you know, there's just not a lot, lot of activity in these things for liquidity purposes. Well, actually, the, the, they've only come looking at, looking at the um, – Looking at this uh, uh, article, uh, ETF.com is where we get a lot of our uh, information on the fly as we're thinking about things. Uh, it's a great site. In fact, you can go to ETF.com forward slash and then type in an ETF ticker and they'll have a, a rating and analytics uh, for that particular fund. So it makes it real easy to find it. Uh, but yeah, it says right here. I mean, they've, they've only come to market in the last four months. So these are relatively new. Um, relatively new offerings for people who want to get into SPAC. <laughs> it's just proof to me that, you know, it, it's the headlines, right? I mean, that's what ETF makers, the, the creators of these ETFs, they just capitalize on um, what, what's happening in the marketplace and what what people might want. Uh, that's why there's just there's thousands of ETFs. I'd, Work from home, you get a you get a catchy uh, ticker, yeah, and that's all it is. I know, I know. Uh, we stick with the boring ETFs. Um, that's that's what works ninety nine percent of the time. But um, yeah, okay. So we have we have some ETFs out there that that if you don't want to dabble directly, uh, you can you can grab uh, uh, you can grab at a bunch of them at at, at one time. Um, okay. So have we missed anything on SPACs? I, I don't know. I think that's a pretty good overview. Yeah, it's a pretty good overview. I mean, it's a great deal for the acquiring acquired company. And, and when you look at the different perspectives of this, the acquired company has a, has an interest, the sponsor and the founders have an interest, and the individual investors have an interest. And and it would appear that, that all these interests are not being equally rewarded. Uh, the acquiring company, I mean, this is a, a liquidity event for the for the owners. They get to go public, sell their shares, all behind a kind of a closed curtain, <laughs> you know, right. um, they don't, they're not required to, to hold on to them as if they'd gone public into the, to the traditional route. Founders, sponsors, they get their shares either for free at greatly discounted price. It's the retail investor that has to choose before they even goes um, through the uh, uh, despacking event, whether or not they're going to keep their shares or take the IPO price. I mean, so they're they're investing in a comp, uh, SPAC that's going to acquire a company that they don't know, and then they, before the acquiring event occurs, the individual investor has to decide whether they're going to keep the shares or sell them at the IPO price, and thereby you know, mitigating any upside potential that they may get 
in the future. It's, it's definitely speculative for the retail investor, individual investor, as opposed to the founders. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's just something you'd be careful of. Yeah. I, I mean, the SPAC manager getting 20%, that bothers me a little bit because what risk do they have, really? I mean, I guess reputational risk if you're already a big big manager. But for the for the guy that worked 80 hours a week to build his company and he's going to launch via a SPAC instead of a traditional IPO, part of me is like good for him. You know, they, you know, I think we're quick to say, oh, that CEO, you get all that money. But these, these are companies that they put into hard work. They created something probably from nothing in most cases. A lot of this is technology, right? So good, good for them that they have an, an extra avenue to go out and, and, and do that. I, I never, never want to put the, uh, the creator of a company as a villain, uh, by any means. And hopefully they remember, um, uh, where they came from and, and give back to the community and keep growing a company that that's, uh, that's good for the community. But, uh, but yeah, the, the managers, that kind of bothers me a little bit that, uh, that's how that works. Uh, I used to think one in 20 or one in 30 was bad, you know, 1% or two, two in 20, I think it was was private equity. That was really greedy. And then now, now, um, uh, 20. (laughs) Yeah. SPACs are like, hold my beer. All right. Well, hey, I I want to do a bonus round. This is a bon- This was not on our topic. Um, I want to talk about NFTs for a minute. Right? Non fungible tokens. We're really going out there today. We're going to go out there. I didn't even tell you guys I was going to talk about this. So this- Bitcoin, SPACs, and now <laughs> NFTs. <laughs> I didn't tell you guys we were going to talk about this. So this this is a total ablib here on on my part. But I saw something in the journal recently that a house, a virtual home sold for a half million dollars equivalent. I think it was bought with Bitcoin or something. That or Ethereum, yeah. So a virtual house. So, I mean, I saw I saw the house. There's a video of it online. It showed the house and what it looked like, and you could walk through it, or at least the video is walking through it. I, I didn't see George Jetson anywhere or... His dog. What was his dog's name? Elroy. That was the boy. Elroy. Oh, Elroy was the boy. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe the same way I can email me and tell me the name of uh, the dog. Anyway, I'm stumped on that one. But non fungible tokens. So explain they, this to me, Matthews. The, You're the youngest person here. Yeah, uh, <laughs> I, I I've not invested in these. Like I said, Bitcoin's uh, the first step. Uh, but it's a non fungible token, so you're owning a token that is on the Bitcoin chain. So that's why it's non-fungible. It is its own specific part of the blockchain. You're buying into uh, these crazy things. Like you mentioned, art. You know, you could buy certain cards. I saw uh, Bryson DeChambeau just released a few cards of himself as an NFT. Of course he did. Yeah, exactly. He would be the person uh, to do that. Um, But yeah, it's just something that that these people are selling them for millions of dollars. Uh, An art collection was just, a digital art was just sold for $69 million dollars. Um, uh, we said, uh, you know, uh, Kings of Leon just actually did the first album, uh, through an NFT and made about two mil, uh, yeah, $2 million on that. So it, it's just kind of crazy. It's no longer just baseball cards or, um, you know, uh, just other type of collectible art. It's starting to be digital, digital art and digital rights to things that you're, which you're, is all stored in blockchain. Correct. So you're not using, uh, you know, actual, uh, money you're using Bitcoin. So you're bidding on these sites, uh, with either, uh, the big ones, Ethereum, but other, other type of digital currency, and you're bidding uh, on these two big platforms for uh, certain things. Like I said, it's kind of broad, whether it be art, whether it be 
uh, digital cards, rights to certain things, but you're bidding out there with using blockchain, using digital assets. So in sports, are, are we be giving? Are we going to be giving uh, virtual awards now that are in blockchain and assigned to someone? I mean, if we if all the sport memorabilia turns into digital and it's in the blockchain, I mean, OJ wouldn't have had to go and rob, uh, <laughs> go in the hotel and rob to get all his stuff back, right? He wouldn't he wouldn't have been in jail at all. Yeah, I, I don't I don't I don't know where this stuff's stored. Um, You're killing me. <laughs> Well, I mean, I guess it's stored on your computer, but then the code, for lack of a better term, the code's in the blockchain that you own that, but I assume it's on in the cloud somewhere. I guess that's on a big scale, but they are making millions of dollars uh, for a little less money. People are really just buying like gifts and, uh, you know, rights to certain clips and memorabilia. So it can be anything from like, you know, $50, which you're buying with certain uh, amount of uh, digital currency, not actual dollars, or millions of dollars for collectible art and random things. So it, it's uh, kind of crazy. It's out there. Matthews and I talked about this on the weekly roundup uh, out, out there on YouTube, but, um, and, and, I, and sorry if you're watching both channels, but uh, I want the digital rights to Michael Jordan's slam dunk from the, uh, from the uh, foul line. Oh, right. that they use in the Nike? Yeah. Uh, uh, well, no. I mean, he actually did it. Oh, yeah. But but it's the image that they use for NBA and for Nike. You know. We'll yeah, but, but no, I want the video. I want the clip. <laughs> I'm sure you can buy it for a uh, couple million dollars and whatever I, equivalent no, Bitcoin that's that is. more than a couple million. If it's going to the blockchain, you own it forever, That that's that's more than a couple million dollars probably. I, 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 I guess I, you know, I have questions about the art. I mean, how do you, you know, you go buy an original piece of art, you hang it up. Mm-hmm. What do you do with, what do you do with a, Digital, digital art, art yeah, digital home. Does that mean we're going to have even more slimline TVs that are mounted on, on the walls all through our house? Or maybe the whole wall is just digital and it has your digital artwork on it. Stay tuned. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there'd have to be a way to um, have ownership. Otherwise, it would just be copied over and over and over and over and over. Right. Well, that's what the blockchain's for. You own that. Because... You own that token on the blockchain. That's why it's non-fungible. Yeah. That's the whole point of being an NFT. It's non-fungible token. Hmm. See, Brad's looking at me very confused right now because, you know, he likes boating, right? He has a boat. so And it's a real boat. Your next boat might be. <laughs> paid real money for it. Your, your you next know? boat might be a virtual boat in the blockchain. Yeah. I and, and you go might, virtual boating. You maybe you go virtual and then, boating. And then I can go back to my virtual home that I paid <laughs> virtual currency for. With. Yeah. No. <laughs> We'll right. say that now. We'll, we'll see how things uh, progress. But yeah, I mean, uh, SPACs, Bitcoin, and NFTs is kind of a, a crazy world what's going on right now. All right. Well, we'll leave that there. All right, guys. It was fun. See you next time. Thank you. All right. Wiser Wealth Management Incorporated is a registered investment advisor. Information presented is for educational purposes only and does not intend to make an offer or solicitation for the sale or purchase of any specific securities, investments, or investment strategies. Investments involve risk and unless otherwise stated are not guaranteed. Be sure to first consult with a qualified financial advisor and or tax professional before implementing any strategy discussed herein. Past performance is not indicative of future performance.